So I want to start tonight, I want, to, I want us to start in 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And while we're not going to stay here, I want this to be kind of the launching point uh, for what we talk about um, in the next few minutes. So tonight, the topic is the holiness of God. And so, um, this is a topic I discussed in youth one night, and, and we've been going through this series of the attributes of God, and we started... Uh, that whole focus, that whole vision of the attributes of God started with um, this idea of beholding the glory of the Lord and being transformed by His image. And so I want to read 2 Corinthians 3, 18, and, and we'll start. It says this, verse 18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And we all, with unveiled face. So at salvation, at justification, we, our, our faces, our eyes become unveiled. We, we can finally see Christ. We can finally taste His goodness, like Lawson was saying this morning. And we can behold the glory of the Lord. That, that's crucial and that's important because we are seeing our Creator for the first time. We are seeing our first true love for the first time. And He loves us so much. And, and, and when we behold the glory of the Lord, what happens? We are being transformed into the same image. We are being sanctified. We are being made like Him. We are living out the purpose for which we were created. And that happens when we, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord. And so this has been the impetus, the, the, the beginning of the attributes of God and what we're studying in youth group. And so I wanted to bring that here and, and discuss the holiness of God. And so um, I want to read this quote by R.C. Sproul. Uh, he has a book on the holiness of God. And, um, and this is what he says. And I think this, this quote right here really hits home the importance of the holiness of God and, and how we see it in Scripture. And it says this, The Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. Not that He is merely holy or even holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. The Bible never says that God is love, 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 or mercy, 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 or wrath, 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 or justice, justice, justice. It does say that He is holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of His glory. And I think, I, I really enjoyed that quote. I, I love seeing that because I think He's, he's hinting at the repetitive nature of, of what it says in Isaiah 6.3. And, and I think that repetitive nature illustrates its importance, its crucialness for us to understand the holiness of God because if we don't see Him as holy, uh, we don't see God rightly. We don't see His nature if we don't see Him as holy. And so I think um, as we study this tonight, and his holiness is, uh, is, is inexhaustible. I'm not going to be able to, to discuss everything that it is, but what I've seen in Scripture, I want to share with you all. And um, so there's four aspects of God's holiness that I want to hit on. The first of which is, what is holiness? What is the holiness of God? Number two, why is it important that we see God is holy? Number three, what is the necessity of God's holiness to man? What makes it necessary for man to see God is holy? And, and then finally, what is the purpose of of God's holiness. And that's what we're going to be working towards, the purpose, the end goal, the end of which uh, His holiness is and who God is and, and why we were created. And so before we do that, I want to pray and we'll get started. God, thank you so much for this time to be together tonight. I thank you for this church family and what they mean to me and, and just the grace that they've allowed me to be up here. Um, I, I thank you for it. The grace that you've allowed me to be up here is uh, so much more infinite, God. And I thank you for the grace that I have in you and for each and every person in here that is in you, God. I thank you for that grace and that love you continue to lavish on us each and every day. 
And so I pray that as we study this topic of your holiness, God, I pray that we would do so in reverence and fear. I pray that any distractions that we might have, that we would please just lay them down and focus on this one thing, this, this, this scripture, this word uh, from you, God. And I pray that it would allow us to fall more in love with you, to have a deeper reverence, a deeper, a deeper fear of you, God. And I love you and I praise you for who you are. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be here. I pray that you would give us all discernment and understanding and wisdom as we study this text, God. That way we can see it through your eyes and not our own, God, because we will mess it up completely. So I pray that you'd be here, be with each and every one of us as we study this. And I pray that you'd be glorified and magnified. It's in your precious holy name. Amen. So what is the holiness of God? What, is, what does it mean? And so I have three points that I want to, to, to discuss tonight. And number one, it's that holiness means to be set apart. It means that God is transcendent. He is uncommon. Uh, there's another quote by R.C. Sproul. It says this, and I think this helps us understand the fact that God is holy, that he is set apart. It says this, the primary meaning of holy is separate. It comes from an ancient word that meant to cut or to separate. Perhaps even more accurate would be the phrase, a cut above something. When we find a garment or another piece of merchandise that is outstanding, that has superior excellence, we use the expression that it is a cut above the rest. God is not just a cut above the rest. He is all the way. He's like at an infinitely another level of, of greatness. He is holy and he is set apart. Exodus 15, 11 says, Who is like you, O Lord? Who is like you among the gods? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. Who is like you? There is no God. There is no idol like you. Hosea 11.9 says, For I am God and not man. We are fundamentally at every, at every level different than God. He is more than us. He is far exceeding us. He is infinitely greater than us. He is holy and he is set apart. He is different. And that makes him worthy of worship. He would not be worthy of worship if he was like me or like any of you. But because he is so much greater than us, because he is so much more infinitely beautiful than us, because he's holy, he's worthy of our worship. I want us to flip to 1 Samuel 2. 2. I want us to see this in Scripture. So God is set apart. He is holy. In 1 Samuel 2, 2, uh, I think verbatim says that. We're going to be kind of flipping around tonight, so uh, I hope you have Bible drills or something like that. So, uh. But it says this, 1 Samuel 2, 2, God is holy and set apart, and that's what this verse says. It says, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. There is none holy like the Lord. It doesn't say there is a few, there are several, there is one other one that's like the Lord. It says there is none Holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. So the first point under what is holiness, holiness means to be set apart. And God is set apart. He is transcendent. He is uncommon. Number two, holiness means to be morally pure. It means to be perfect. It means to be sinless. And, and honestly, that was the first. Uh, you know, I knew holiness meant to be set apart. And... Um, but as I started studying this, the first word that popped in my mind when I thought of the holiness of God was perfection, was sinlessness. Uh, yes, he is, he is morally pure. He is sinless. But who God is is more than just mere sinlessness. He is more than just moral purity. There's, there's more to God than him just being good. He is great. 
He is set apart and He is transcendent. But it does, the holiness of God does include that He is morally pure. He does no wrong. He abhors sin. Habakkuk 1.13 says that God cannot look at wrongdoing. He can't look at sin. He abhors it. Jeremiah 44.4 says, It is the abomination that I hate. You know, think about the cross. Think about the Gospel. When Jesus is on the cross, He has the weight of the sin of the world on His shoulders. He, 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 he is sinful at that moment. He has sin on Him. He took that sin for us. And God had to take His face away from Him. He had to turn away from Him. This is how much God hates sin. That He would take His face away. He would take His favor away from His own Son. 1 John 1.5 Not only can God not look at wrongdoing, He can't stand it. He must punish it. There's also no sin within God. 1 John 1.5 says that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. In Him is no darkness at all. So light represents holiness, righteousness. And darkness represents sin. There's no sin in Him. And it doesn't say that God has light or there is light within God. It says God is light. It, he is light. He is what makes light, light. God is light and light is God. God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. So He is morally pure. And my third point is that holiness means that God is holy in relation to every attribute of His being. So in every way that God acts, in every way that God is, He is holy. So when He acts in His love, He acts with a holy love. When He acts in His wrath, He acts in a holy wrath. That means His wrath is transcendent and perfect. His love is transcendent and perfect. The way that He acts is fundamentally different than every way that we act. It's more than the way that we act. And it's perfect. So that is the holiness of God defined. He is set apart, morally pure, and in every way that God acts, He is holy. His nature is holy. So number two, why is it important we see God as holy? And there are two points I have to this. Number one, He demands it. And number two, it leads to a response of humble repentance. So let's flip to Numbers 20, verses 7 through 12. So we see that God is holy. He is set apart. And He is fundamentally different. He is transcendent. He is morally pure, and the way that He acts, the way that He is, is holy. Like, everything He does is holy, is perfect, is set apart. So why, like, why is it important that we see Him as holy? Like, yeah, He's holy, but like, what's, like, why do we need to see Him as holy? Why, why, is it, why is it important? And I think the first reason He demands it can be found in Numbers 20, 7-12, and I'll read that. It says this, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. So why is it important we see God as holy? He demands it. And I think we see that in verse 12. And we see through this passage, Moses just completely, openly 
just rebels against the commandment of God. And in verse 7, God tells him to speak to the rock, tell the rock, and water will come forth. Speak to it. It was a blatant commandment, and, and Moses as a leader of God and a leader of people should have, should have obeyed that, but he doesn't. He, he doesn't. He didn't. And we see in verse 11 that it says, And Moses lifted up his hand. And I imagine he's probably angry at this point. Uh, I, I, you know, in previous chapters, you see the people of Israel complaining. They are just downtrodden because of all the stuff they're facing. Like they, they wish they could go back into their slavery in Egypt over being wandering in the wilderness. They create this golden calf and they worship it instead of God. Yet God continues to be faithful to them, even in their unfaithfulness. And I imagine, I imagine Moses is getting pretty, pretty upset at this point. But still, out of, out of an unhealthy anger, he strikes the rock with his staff twice and disobeys God. And so I think, it's, I think it's important to see that, yes, he disobeyed God in the act of sin by striking the rock instead of speaking to it. But I think it goes much deeper than that. And I think we can see that in verse 12. God says, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Because you did not believe me. He didn't say because you hit, you hit the rock instead of speaking to it. I think this is a much deeper uh, a much deeper uh, indictment God is trying to say. Because you did not believe in me, because you did not uphold me as holy, we are to uphold God as holy. He demands that we, that we see Him and uphold Him as holy. And if we don't, we see there's punishment that comes with that. There's punishment that comes with sin. And for them, the Israelites weren't allowed into the promised land at this point in time. They were later, but not at this point. But I think in this passage right here, we can see that God... Takes his, takes his holiness seriously. And we should too. He demands that we see Him as holy. So why is it important we see God as holy? Number one, He demands it. And number two, it leads us to a, to a response of humble repentance. Let's flip to Isaiah 6. And this is a famous passage. I, I love this passage. It's a beautiful picture of the Gospel. So here, Isaiah's, this is Isaiah's account. We just looked at Moses' account. In Isaiah's account, we see um, Isaiah is having a vision of the Lord. He is having a vision of God's holiness. He is having a front row seat to God. And, and this is what he sees, and this is what he experiences, and this is how he responds to seeing God's holiness. It says this in verse 1, chapter 6. Isaiah, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two He covered His face, and with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was, was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me! For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the, in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So Isaiah is having this dramatic, emphatic, explicit vision of God's holiness. Angels cry out, holy, holy, holy. The foundations of the threshold shake at the voice of Him who called. The temple is filled with smoke. Like There is no way that Isaiah could miss this. 
Like there is no way. Like God is making this explicitly plain that God is, that He is holy, that He is righteous, that He is mighty. And Isaiah is seeing this. And what is Isaiah's response? He's not prideful. He's not arrogant. He's not indifferent. In fact, he's on the completely opposite side. If this was if this was arrogance and pride right here, Isaiah is in Holcomb. Like he's he is completely humble. He is com- completely broken down. There's no pride, no arrogance. He is completely broken over his sin under the weight of who God is, under the weight of God's holiness. He is broken over his sin. He says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. You know, Isaiah is a prophet. You know, I think the, the very best that he could offer God was his lips, was his speaking the word of God. And yet he sees, when he sees the holiness of God, he realizes the best that he could offer God is still filthy rags. It's still unclean. It's still, it's still worthless. But he comes to this humble response of repentance. And as you keep going in the, in the passage, if you go to verse 6 and 7, you see that, that Isaiah is receiving his salvation at this point. Is by seeing the holiness of God and being um, broken over it that it can lead to, to, to salvation. And we'll see that in a second. But we must have this same, same humble response. If God demands that we see Him as holy, we need to see Him as holy. We need to be humbled and broken over our own, our, over our own sin under the weight of God's glory, under the weight of God's holiness. And I think we see the same response in Job 42. If you go look at that a couple uh, of chapters before 42, God is, just telling, God is just telling Job who he is and what he's like. He's saying, I tell, the, I tell the lightning bolts where to go. I uphold the universe by my hands. And under the weight of, of seeing God and hearing God, Job says in uh, 42, 5 and 6, he says, though I'd heard of you by the earring of the ear, now my eyes see you. My eyes see you. With unveiled face, I'm beholding the glory of the Lord and I'm being transformed into His image. That's what Job is saying. And that's what Isaiah is saying. Look at verse 5 in chapter 6. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then Job continues, Now my eyes see you. Therefore, because my eyes have seen you, because I'm beholding your holiness, your glory, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. How many of us can say that? I know I, that, I, that I've not said that before. That I will repent in dust and ashes. Like, how much lower can you get? How much more broken over your sin can you get than saying, I despise myself. I'm wicked. I repent in dust and ashes. He has seen the holiness of God. Isaiah has seen the holiness of God. And it leads to humble repentance. A true encounter of God's holiness, His transcendence, and His perfection will lead to a brokenness over sin and a humble repentance. So why is it important to see God as holy? Number one, God demands it. We saw that in Moses' account. And number two, it leads to humble repentance. And we see that in Isaiah's account. And so my next point is uh, the necessity of God's holiness. The necessity of God's holiness to man. Why is it necessary that we see God as holy? And these two answers, that, or these two points I'm going to make here stem from that humble response of repentance. If we, have a humble, if we see God's holiness and we have a true, genuine response of humble repentance, these two things will happen. Number one, they'll happen for the unbeliever. And the second one, they will happen for the believer. So as an unbeliever sees the holiness of God and if they are truly humbled before Him, it will lead to reconciliation. 
So the necessity of God's holiness to man is number one, to reconcile sinners. Humble repentance leads to salvation. And salvation is our understanding, our, our sinfulness and, by seeing God's holiness. You know, think about like in a classroom. If a classroom was filled with a bunch of students who just made F's all the time, by comparison, they wouldn't really know they, they were that bad of a student. They might think they're, you know, not good at the subject they're talking about or discussing in class. But imagine, somebody, imagine another student coming in and all they do is make A after A after A after A. They're going to realize they are not good, that they are terrible at whatever subject it is. For me, it would be science. I was terrible at science. But they would realize just how like, terrible they are at the, at the subject because they're seeing perfection. In the same way, salvation, seeing the holiness of God, seeing His perfection, seeing His holiness will lead us to see that we are unholy and that we are imperfect. Like I said earlier, Habakkuk 1.13 says that God cannot look on sin. He must punish it. You know, think about the Romans road. Think about uh, Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Not some have sinned. Not many have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. If we are all sinful, if we have a nature of sin, we by default deserve death. The wages of sin is death. Because God is holy and just, He must punish sin. But I think when we see the Gospel, when we see where reconciliation and justification happens, is when Jesus steps in. He steps in to rescue sinners. Let's flip to 2 Corinthians 5. There are two verses I want to read. We see that Jesus steps in, that we are sinful people by nature. We are sinful. Romans 5.12 speaks to that, that we are born with the nature of sin because we were born under the lineage of Adam. But it's through Christ that we can be made right. And so let's read 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says this, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, so there's a lot of personal pronouns there. And uh, I want to make this explicitly clear. For our sake, God the Father made Jesus the Son of God to be sin who knew no sin. So Jesus didn't even... like he. Like sin, he was not intimately acquainted with sin. Like he didn't know it. He he wasn't sinful. He was holy, but God made him to be sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. That is the beautiful exchange of the gospel. I pray you see the beautiful exchange of the gospel, where Jesus is here with his righteousness, and we're here. Man is here with our sinfulness. Jesus takes our sinfulness from us and places his righteousness on us. That's the beautiful exchange of 2 Corinthians 5.21. He pays the death penalty for us so that we can be brought to life in His resurrection. That's what, that's what Jesus is talking about in John 3 when He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a person is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. He has to be born again. There has to be rebirth. And it's through our sin nature, it's through us dying with Him. We are unified with Christ in His death. When our sin nature dies... In His resurrection, we are brought to newness of life in Him. Our nature is now being brought to life by the Spirit of God. And so, second, and I think that I think Second Corinthians five seventeen speaks to that clearly. It says this just a few verses before. Therefore, if anyone 
is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has received salvation, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The old has passed away is referring to our sin nature. We were at conception. As soon as we entered earth, we were born into sin. We were sinful by nature. But it says in Christ, if we receive Christ, our old nature has passed away. It has been dealt with for all eternity in Christ. He has put that death to death. He's put that sin to death. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So in his death, our nature of sin has died. And in his resurrection, there is newness of life. We are a new creation in him. So a humble, a humble response of repentance leads to salvation. It leads to being convicted of our sin and through repentance and belief in the gospel and what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross and through his resurrection leads to a death of our sin nature and it leads to life in the nature of Christ and the nature of the Spirit. And by that we are reconciled. We are justified, as Lawson said earlier this morning. We are justified and we are reconciled into his family. So the necessity of God's holiness to man is number one for unbelievers. It leads to reconciliation. It leads to justification. If they are truly experiencing and responding in humility to God's holiness, it will lead to salvation. It will lead to reconciliation. Number two for believers. So seeing God's holiness is not just something that uh, people that are, it's not just for unbelievers, it's for believers to continue to see, continue to behold, continue to fall in love with each and, each and every day. And so the second reason of why it's necessary for God or for man to see God as holy is that it leads to sanctification. So it leads to justification. Like Lawson said, we have three, three, three steps in our life. We have justification, sanctification, and glorification. Number one, it leads to sanctification. And number two, seeing God's holiness leads to sanctification. And so as we see him as holy, like we saw in Isaiah 6, he was completely broken over his sin and he received salvation. And if you look down at verse 8, Isaiah says, here am I, send me. He says, I, I'm available to whatever you want to do, God. I, I, I want to be obedient to you. I want to live a holy and righteous life because I've been bought by the blood of Christ. Like, I, I want that. I want that. Here am I, send me. And so as we see God as holy, we fear and respect him just as Isaiah did, just as Job did, just as Moses didn't at that point in time that we read in Numbers 20. He did not uphold God as holy as we saw in verse 12. He did not treat God as holy and he did not obey him. But if we truly catch a glimpse of God's holiness, it will lead to obedience. Let's flip to 1 Peter 1.16. 1 Peter 1.16 says this. So this is for believers to hear. This is for believers to hear. Let's actually jump up to verse 15. It says this, But as He who called you, as He who gave you salvation, as He who reconciled you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Because we have been called, because we have received the call of salvation, we are called to be holy just as Christ is holy. We are called to be set apart. We are called to pursue righteousness and sinlessness. Yes, we fall and we fail at that. And we struggle with that. We continue to struggle with that each and every day. But that's what we're pursuing. We're pursuing to be set apart from the world. 
No longer conform to the patterns of this world. Be transformed. Be sanctified by the renewing of your mind. Be holy for I'm holy. Ephesians 1.4 says, Be holy and blameless before Him. Be. It doesn't say try to be. It says be holy and blameless before Him. Before God. If we are in Christ and Christ is holy, we are called to be holy and obedient. And as we work out that obedience, as we work out... Um, that obedience, it will lead to sanctification. I promise you it will. it will. It will transform us into the image of God. It's a promise that He makes in 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, will be transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. We will be transformed into that image. We will be sanctified if you pursue obedience, if you pursue holiness, if you, de- if you desire to look like Jesus in this world, you will pursue obedience. You will. So the necessity of God's holiness to man, if he, is truly have, if he has a true response of humility, it will lead to reconciliation for unbelievers. And for believers, it will lead to sanctification. So what is all this working towards? What is the, the end goal? What is the end uh, for all of this? What is the purpose of God's holiness? What is the purpose of anything God does and is? And I believe, I believe it's to glorify Himself. I believe that we act in holiness and we serve a holy God because we want to desire to give Him glory. The chief end of God is for Him to receive His glory and honor. Rescuing sinners and transforming people, believers, into His image is making His name famous is giving Him glory that He alone deserves. If He is holy and set apart, if He is completely different than us, that, like I said earlier, that means that He is worthy of our worship. He deserves to be glorified. He deserves all our attention, all our focus, all our praise. That is the purpose of why we're even studying this tonight. We're not studying this just to gather some information and just, just have a, a, just an intellectual knowledge of who God is. No, we want to have heart change. We want to be transformed by the image of God. We want to see His image. We want to behold His glory and be transformed into that same image. Be holy as I am holy. That's the reason we're studying this. Yes, it's important to have a knowledge of who God is, but if we just have knowledge and no transformation and no life change, then what's the point? What's the point of just knowing Him and doing nothing about it? Be holy as I am holy. Be holy and blameless before Him. So what is holiness? The holiness of God. I'm just going to go through this again. The holiness of God is that God is set apart. He's transcendent and He is uncommon. He is morally pure and He is sinless. He has no sin within Him. And His holiness means that God acts. He loves with a holy love. His whole nature is holy. His wrath is a holy wrath. He acts. His nature is holy. Why is it important to see God as holy? Number one, He demands it. We saw that in in Numbers 20. Number two, it leads to a humble response of repentance. We saw that in Isaiah 6, and we saw that also in the life of Job. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. It leads to a humble response of repentance. And why is it necessary to see God as holy? For unbelievers, it leads to reconciliation. It leads to salvation. It leads to tasting the goodness of God. And number two, it leads to being sanctified by believers. And that is continuing to taste the goodness of God and wanting and desiring more of it each and every day. And so what is the purpose? What is the end goal of all of this? What is the purpose of God rescuing sinners? What is the purpose of Him transforming people into His image? It's for His glory. And I pray that for each and every one of us that our chief purpose in life 
is to share the gospel and to make him glorious and to make him to make him famous to give him the glory that he deserves and that's what we're going to be singing forever we're going to be singing isaiah 6 3 forever holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory if you get tired of that now you're going to get tired of that in heaven like i pray you desire that to see him as holy and be transformed into his image please see that please see that the end goal the chief end of God, the chief end of man, is to enjoy God and to glorify Him. I pray that as you enjoy God, you behold the glory of God, that you are transformed into your image, that you seek to be holy and glorify Him in everything that you do. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much again for this opportunity to, to open your word, God. This is complete grace. This is complete uh, completely a blessing that we even get to do this tonight, God. And I pray that we wouldn't take advantage of it. We, would, we wouldn't um, just come do it willy-nilly, God, but that we would give our hearts uh, everything that we have to knowing You better, to understanding Scripture, and to living it out, to behold You as holy and to live holy lives, God. Thank You, Holy Spirit, for giving us discernment and understanding and wisdom. And I pray that as we continue to meditate on Your holiness and being transformed by it, God, I pray that uh, it would be for your honor and for your glory, God, and not for our own. That is the chief end of why we're here, God. We're not here just to sing some songs and to hear, uh, to hear words spoken in a microphone, God. We're here to fall in love with you. We're here to worship you and to praise you for who you are, God. So I pray that that is our heart's desire tonight. It's in your precious holy name. Amen.